You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Can we welcome first up to bring our first word today, the very big Melbourne Lights Church welcome, Mr. Adam Townend. And your time starts now. <laughs> wow. Good morning. How are you all this morning? Good. Uh, it's a little bit strange to me to be on, uh, on this side of the mic. Normally, I'm on the other end of the mic behind the sound desk and a lot more comfortable there. But thank you, Matt, for the opportunity to be up here for a change. Uh, this morning, I wanted to share with you guys something that we'd been talking about in our discipleship group last year. And it was actually inspired by our very own Dave Conlon. Dave, I don't know where Dave's gone. But Dave, um, last year you were preaching and you mentioned in your preach, you said, don't forget that we've got the armour of God with us. And I thought, hey, that's a great topic that we'll be able to do for one night in our discipleship group. So I went home and I sat down and I had a look in Ephesians 6 and I started reading through it and then really quickly realised we're going to need much more than one week to actually go through all of this. So in the end, we ended up spending like five or six weeks going through all the different elements of the armour of God uh, and we all got so much out of it. So this morning, uh, I wanted to share with you a few things that we'd learnt from those six weeks. However, Six weeks into 10 minutes has proven to be a little bit of a challenge as I was planning. Uh, So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you and explain to you why, after that six-week study, my favourite piece of the armour of God actually changed. Okay, So let's take a quick look at the scripture. So it's in Ephesians 6, verse 11 through 17. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after all you've done, after, you, after everything you've done, you'll still be able to stand." Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness firmly in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And put on, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, before we get into the the actual elements of the armour, two things I want to point out really quickly at the start of this. Um, It says put on the armour of God. So to put is a verb, right? So it's a doing word. It requires us to actually have an action, okay? So this is not like, I don't know if any Marvel fans, but you've seen Iron Man and he like pushes the button and all of his armour miraculously just revolves around him. That's not what this is, right? We We actually are told, and it says to put, which means we have to actively pursue it. It's not a passive thing. You've got to go out there and you've got to put on the armour of God every single day. The other thing here is I think this is a bit of almost a bit a bit of a warning in this scripture. Um, the only reason you need armour is if you're going to be in a battle, right? So we need to know that as Christians, we're going to come under attack from, uh, from the enemy, right? And it even says uh, in Isaiah 54, it says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. It doesn't say there won't be any weapons. It doesn't say they won't be used. It says they won't prosper, right? So we need to expect and be prepared that these battles are actually going to come, Okay. So here we go. So we've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with the gospel of peace, and then the ones I really like, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So my favourites were always the shield of faith 
and the sword of the Spirit. I love the way, uh, the thought of the shield of faith, so my faith being out there. So as those flaming arrows come in, which we know they're going to be coming, them just bouncing off my faith because my faith is strong enough to actually deflect those challenges, right? But the shield of faith is no longer my favourite. I love the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so it's the Bible. The thing I love most about this is the fact that all of the other pieces of armour are actually defensive pieces, but the sword is our only offensive piece of armour that we have, right? Um, and so what that means is, is, is I love the thought of that putting us on the front foot in the battle, and I love the thought of a strong, sharp blade cutting down the enemy as we advance in those battles, right? But that's no longer my favourite. My new favourite is the belt of truth. I'd always just skimmed over this bit of the passage with no other thought than, yep, it's going to be really important to make sure my pants stay up as I'm fighting the battles, right? But other than that, I'd never given it more of a thought. But as I spent time looking into what the belt of truth is actually about, I've realised how important it is. See, the belt represents truth. And I think today we're in a bit of a truth epidemic. And I know epidemic and pandemics are bad words, kind of post-COVID, but it's true. Today, there are so many voices that are bombarding us that it's so very easy to be misguided off the truth or even just a little bit, just a slight deviation off the truth. Somehow in today's world, truth has become subjective, right? Sayings like my truth, which literally means any version of the truth that I think suits me the best, have become commonplace, okay? But as Christians, we know that there is one source of truth, and that is the Word of God. And why is the truth so important? Because the enemy that we're against, the armour that we're given to fight against the battles, it, the enemy is the devil, right? And it says in John 8, Jesus actually says that the devil is the father of lies, right? He twists truth just ever so slightly, just a little bit, just so we stumble away from God. I'd always assumed that spiritual attacks I'd see coming from a mile off, right? There'll be these big things that come in, but often they're not. They're just these little niggly thoughts or these little things that just push you just slightly off what the actual truth is. Uh, and this is why I think the belt of truth is so important. And this is where, to me, where it gets interesting. See, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, he wasn't talking about our everyday belt that we all wear. He was, this was Roman time, so he was looking at the Roman soldiers and their armour. And the belts that they wore were big, thick, heavy belts, okay? And they had more of a purpose than just holding up your pants. <laughs> they actually supported the breastplate of righteousness. So they actually held the breastplate actually on. Your sword was actually off your belt as well. And your belt would also carry all of the other things that you needed. So your rations, your water, your other weapons were all attached to your belt. You see, so if a Roman soldier didn't have his belt firmly attached, he wasn't battle ready. In the same way, if we don't have a firm grasp on the truths that are in the Bible, we are not going to be battle ready, okay? If you don't understand who you are in Christ, what his promises are to you, you're not battle ready, okay? The belt is actually the very last piece of armour that goes on. So as a soldier got ready, he would put all the things on and the belt would go on last. But it's actually, Paul puts it first in the list of all the armour. And so I don't think that's by mistake. I don't think that's, you know, by coincidence. Paul knew that we need a solid foundation needs to come first in the truth, okay? If we're not careful, we can be wrongly influenced by little lies, little half-truths that just kind of sneak in there, and all of a sudden, that belt that you're wearing around you, nice and firmly, just starts to become a little looser, 
okay? And as those things continue to creep in, that belt gets looser and looser. Then all of a sudden, the breastplate of righteousness that it's supporting starts to get a little wonky and your sword starts to become loose, okay? So in the Roman times, if a soldier didn't have his belt firmly on, when he went to reach for his sword, the whole belt would shift and he can no longer get to the sword to be able to use it uh, and, and actually fight back, okay? And in just the same way, um, we need to make sure that we have the truth um, kept around us. If we don't have it firmly around us, then we are opening ourselves up to spiritual attack without a way to fight back. Okay? So just as, uh, just as the Roman belt was worn close to us, close to our body, um, we need to make sure that we have the truth of Jesus surrounding us all the time. We need to make sure we remain in his word because when we know the truth, we can easily distinguish those little flaming arrows that are coming in. Okay? We can easily see what's true and what's untrue. So I encourage you this morning um, that if you're struggling in any area, maybe it's uh, your identity in Christ, maybe it's forgiveness, uh, maybe it's God's provision in your life or anxiety, any of those things, I encourage you to go back to the Bible. Don't go to Facebook, don't go to self-help books, not YouTube motivational speakers, not any other source, but go back to the Bible because that's where God's truth is. Go back there, study it, and see what God has to say about the truth. Because as, as Jesus said in John 8, 31 to 32, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, so that's the story. Thank you. Yeah. So that's the story of how I've gone from the awesome swords, which they're all still cool pieces of armour, but now the belt is the main thing that, uh, that I love the most, the belt of truth. So seek the truth uh, and seek the wisdom of God. Thanks, guys. Wow. What an amazing foundation for us to start with. I think we need to respond right now. We want to wait till the end and then respond, but you know that whenever we hear truth, whenever God reveals something, we need to respond in the moment. Can we respond? Can, I'm going to ask Adam if he would pray for us to know. Let's stand. Lord God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you say that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord God. We thank you that no matter what we face in this world, Lord God, that you're there with us, you're there right beside us, and you give us this full armor of God to actually protect us, Lord Jesus. So we pray that as we walk the battlefields every day, Lord God, that you will be there, that you'll help us to remember the truth, to stay guided on your truth, Lord God. No one else's truth, Lord God, but may the truth please set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Stay standing. Stay standing. It just save you standing up again. We are going to welcome Ryan Sayers. You. We'll call him the fireman because he actually is a fireman, and he's going to bring some fire. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Wow, what a privilege. Oh, that's some bad news, guys. Bible tells us, John 10, 10, that we've got a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Man, that's pretty scary. That's why we need the armor of God, right? But there's good news. The second part of John 10, 10, Jesus says, but I've come, and I've come to give life abundantly. 
And I remember listening to these podcasts of an American, African-American guy. And he grew up in poverty. There was 14, 14 of them living in the house, his cousins, his uncles, his aunties. And at seven years of age, he had this dream to play in the NFL. And he trained really hard. He was out late every night. And he gets to his first day of college and he walks up to school and, uh, sorry, his first day of high school. And he rocks up to school and coppers there on the door, scanning people through metal detectors. He looks at him and goes, what's your plan, little man? And he goes, oh, I'm going to college. I'm going to D1. And the copper looks down at him. He says, more like cell block D1. Don't you have two uncles serving state penitentiary? Yes, sir. Weren't they great athletes just like you? Yes, sir. Well, it's more like you're going to cell block D1. And I think, isn't it funny how the enemy attacks our identity and tries to destroy our dreams? We fast forward to 2006, and Inky's in his final year of college. His coach comes in, he goes, great news, Inky. You've been selected in the top 30 draft picks for next season's NFL. Man, imagine what that would have felt like. Every dream he's ever had, he can save his family from poverty. He's set a standard. His brothers and sisters can go into college. But it's not to be. He plays the first game, has an absolute blinder, plays the second game. And uh, he goes in for a tackle, two minutes on the clock. And he goes in for this tackle and he gets injured. He hits the ground, passes out. And when he wakes up, they rush him off to hospital and the doctors come running in. They say, we've got to operate. This kid's going to die. Man, now how's that? He's, he's eight games away now from stepping into what the promise of God he thought he had and being a multimillionaire, saving his family. And it's all ripped away in a heartbeat. But that doesn't destroy him. His family, he wakes up from surgery and his family, his coach teammates, all that are around him, they're like, oh, Inky, we're really sorry, like, you deserve this, you're trained so hard, and he's like, you sell God that short? And I was like, boom, blew my mind. <laughs> and it makes me think of the life of Joseph. Uh, for those who don't know, Joseph's one of the sons of Jacob, he was the uh, favourite son, the one with the coat of many colours, and uh, he, he got a bit more than the brothers did, the brothers had to go out in the field and work, but Joseph was able to go out and he'd just inspect and he'd come back and report to his father. Now, Joseph had a couple of dreams, and he shared them. Well, that's going down. <laughs> he shared them, and his brothers hated it, and it made him jealous. And uh, when he walked out to the field to check in on one day, they saw him coming over the hill, and they said, oh, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. But the oldest brother, Reuben, says, no, no, we're not going to kill him. You can't lay a hand on him. So the other brothers plot, and they put him into a pit. And then they see some travellers coming up that are going to uh, Egypt and they decide to sell him and they sell him into slavery. So they throw him into a pit, they strip his coat off him and they throw him into the slavery. Now we're starting to see how the devil's coming to steal, kill and destroy. Joseph ends up in Egypt and he gets bought by one of the officers of Pharaoh. And in Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. It says he became a successful man. I don't know that he'd be feeling very successful. He's just been sold. It just shows that the enemy can come and he can try to steal and to kill and destroy but that doesn't mean that God's not giving life and life abundantly. Sometimes our problem is we try to tell God what abundance looks like. Just because your life may not look like abundance to the world doesn't mean that God's not abundantly blessing you. He's blessing you in your heart and in your spirit. And that's what needs to be enough for us. God can be blessing you abundantly even through the hardships. It goes on verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was blessed. <laughs> 
And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on him and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house and he's put everything that he has in my charge, he is not greater than, there is no greater in this house than I, sorry, he is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great and wicked sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, but to lie beside her or be with her. And sometimes I think for us, our temptations could be the same. It's that voice day after day. It's nagging in our ears. But watch how Joseph handles it. Verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and no one... No men of the house were there. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left the garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. Now there's a pro tip for us singles there. Eh? How do we avoid our temptation? Get out of the house. <laughs> Delete the app. Stop messaging back. <laughs> I love how Joseph, I love how Joseph's like, why would I do that? Why would I risk the abundance in my life for a temporary satisfaction? I'm not doing that. I'm getting out of the house. You've got permission to say no to the enemy. You have the authority to say no to the enemy. Verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he brought amongst us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. Now, Joseph didn't do the wrong thing. He got out of there, but she's framed him anyway. And again, we see this pattern of steal, kill, and destroy. She stole his garment. She's, she's wrecked his reputation, his career. You know, in that day, it'd be murder, uh, sleeping with your master's wife. They'd, they'd kill you. It'd be death. We've got to protect our hearts. You know, just a little sin gives the devil a foothold. Joseph's brothers, they just started off with a bit of jealousy, and it led to steal, kill, and destroy. Potiphar's wife, a little bit of lust. It's led to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a pattern and a pathway here, and we need to be aware and on guard to the enemy's tactics. We need the armor of God in our life. We got to get out of the house. <laughs> Joseph didn't sin, but the enemy tried to frame him. And, he, and I think if the devil can't get you, if he can't destroy you, every now and again, he'll come at your, your identity and he'll change the view of other people of you. Last year, I had some things said about me. Now, on the inside, it hurt. I was really upset. I was angry. I wanted to respond. But we've got a choice. We can seek revenge and, and try, uh, seek revenge when people try to derail us, or we can stand firm on who God says that we are. This is why we need the voice of God to be louder in our hearts than the enemy. Because if we don't hear the voice of God and we don't believe what he says, we're going to start believing what the enemy says. So Joseph gets sentenced now. He wasn't killed, thankfully, but he gets sent into prison. Verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph, still in prison. He's with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there, and whatever there was done, he, he was the one who did it. And again, we see the favour of God, even through the prison, where he's blessing him with life and life abundantly. Then one night... The baker and the cupbearer who have been thrown into prison also come up and they say, oh, we've had these dreams, you know, can you interpret them? And Joseph interprets them and he says, the cupbearer is going to be restored to position and the baker's going to die. And it comes to fruition. Joseph says, <laughs> sorry, baker, terrible cakes. Um, 
so he says, remember me, but he, he forgets. And then a couple of years go past, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh's having these dreams. And he's asking all the wise men to interpret, and no one can interpret. And then the baker remembers. He goes, ah, oh, there was this dreamer back when I was in prison. He can interpret dreams. Gen 41. Then Pharaoh sent out and called for Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Hold on to that. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Let's just back it up a minute. He's being brought out of the pit. The thing that put him in the pit in the first place, the jealousy of his brothers because of his dreams, is now the thing he's being brought back up out of the pit by. It's easy to read in with like, yeah, Joseph, restoration, woo, walk on. But this is the one that's hard for us to live by. It would be easy for Joseph to say, a dreamer, no way, man. That got me here, I'm not that guy. It's easy to, uh, how much insecurity and shame would be attached to that. But Joseph says, oh yeah, my God put that in me. And I believe that there's people here today that have dreams that they've let go because maybe they've laughed at or they've been shamed. And now there's all this fear and anxiety that's attached to your dreams. So you've put it on a shelf and you're never going to talk about it again. But I believe God's saying that I put that in you. Even when I was preparing this, I felt there's someone here today that wants to write a book. But for whatever reason, fear, anxiety has pushed that aside and you're not going to do it. I feel the Lord saying to you right now that I put that in you. Why are we so surprised when the enemy comes after the exact thing that God's put in us? If Joseph didn't interpret the dreams in the prison, he would never have had the chance to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and he would never have had the chance to then step into the 2IC role in charge of all of Egypt. But we need to walk in what God's put in us in the things we can control so that God can operate and open the doors in the things we can't control. Joseph ended up second in charge to Pharaoh and he's managing the grain through a famine when his brothers turn up and they want to buy grain. They're scared. When they realise it's Joseph, they think he's going to kill him. He's going to seek his revenge. But Joseph turns around in Genesis 20, uh, 50 verse 20. says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. When we reflect on Joseph's life, we can see the enemy constantly trying to kill, steal and destroy. But in every season of Joseph's life, no matter what it looked like from the world's perspective, God was giving him life and life abundantly. Joseph never stopped walking in faithful obedience and the blessings and dreams that God put in him. We need to walk in faithful obedience and hold on to the dreams that God has put in our hearts. It's not always easy and we can expect that the devil's going to try and derail us. But it's walking in faithful obedience that ushers in the blessings and the abundance of God. Thank you. I could be wrong on the exact amount of years, but I feel like it was, it's 18 or 17 or 18 years from when Joseph gets sold into slavery to when restoration comes. If you read in Galatians um, about Paul, from his Damascus Road moment to when he begins public ministry, 17 years. So after three years, he went to Jerusalem and then he went away for 14 years. I felt like just prophetically as Ryan was preaching, there's some of, there's some of us here today and you said, God's forgotten about me. I'm, in, I'm stuck in the pit. But the Bible and the kingdom of God plays a, a longer game than we often think. We don't get to determine what his abundance looks like. <laughs> Whew, what a word. Can we stand? We need to respond to this. I'm going to ask Ryan to pray for us.
is a fire word. I just feel like God is going to bring some healing. I want to take some people out of the pit right now. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Father God, Lord, we just open our hearts to you, Lord. Yeah. Lord, we just ask for healing in those places where people have come against us, where the world's come against us, Lord. Yeah. And we just say, open our eyes to your abundance, Father. Ooh. Lord, I, I just pray for the dreams of people that have been shut down, Lord God. Lord, thank you that you've put those dreams in there, Lord, and we just speak life and life abundantly in them. Like Matt said before, you know, dry bones come to life. Yeah. Re activate those dreams, Lord God. Lord, give the healing to the people that step into those dreams, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you, Ryan. I don't want to overlabor the point, but I just feel like, I feel like God's saying to a couple of people, sir or ma'am, don't forget that word. Like it's a, there's a propheticness in both those words, but there's a propheticness for somebody in that word. Lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. Can we welcome our, our last speaker for this morning, Bethany Johns. Let's open our hearts. Sometimes it can be hard to be the last one of three because they've both been amazing words so far. Let's be ready to receive, hey? God's not done with us. Awesome. Thank you. Um, thanks for the privilege of getting to speak today. I'm going to jump right in because uh, those who don't know me know uh, I talk a lot. <laughs> and so 10 minutes is hard to keep to. Um, so I wanted to speak about beholding and becoming. That's what I wanted to speak about today. So uh, uh, we've done a whole series about enduring faith um, in the, at the end of last year. And when Matt preached at the end of last year, he used a quote from A.W. Tozer that was, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. And that really hit me hard. Um, and I was like, oh, gee, I need to look into that a bit more. Um, so I went back to the book and I read it. And there was a whole chapter that was about our gaze being focused on him, being occupied with, with him. And as we gaze with him inwardly, so when our, our eyes of our heart are focused on him, that's where the secret place of his presence is. And so it follows that from that quote that our faith is cultivated and strengthened when we go to the secret place with him. In John 5, verse 19 to 21, it says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. And I, I don't know about you, but I think Jesus is often the best example of something. And um, from this verse, we can see like he's looking at the Father all the time. And I, I don't know about you, but there's so many miracles in the Bible that he, that he does. But it's from that place of going back to the secret place with him. So what I want to say to you today is how do you find that place and how do you stay there? <laughs> so I wanted to share my journey over the last year. I know that uh, lots of people here know me really well and uh, have seen me grow up. I've been in this church for 15 years. Um, and some of you have only known me for a really short amount of time. And I know I'm super confident and I love Jesus and I like to share. But I've realized more and more that it's not about me. It's actually about what he's changed in me as I behold him that changes things. So um, I've always heard Jesus, even from when I was really little. But about a year ago, there was 
was a cry in my heart because I always, I wanna go to the deeper things. I wanna know him more. I want, I want that intimacy with him. But there were so many lies and there were so many distractions and people would speak words over me about ministering from a place of knowing the secret place of bringing revelation from him. But there wasn't a reality to seeing that happen in my life. And I knew all the things to do. I mean, we come to church every week and the practical points of how, how to see things happen is always like reading the Bible and spending time with him and praying, but <laughs> I wasn't doing it. <laughs> That's the truth. I wasn't spending that much time with him and I was trying to fill that place with other things. And it makes me emotional to think about because I was lonely and I was broken, but it reached a point one day <laughs> during COVID, which I think a lot of you can probably understand. And I lived by myself, I was alone. And so I would go home to my house and there was no one there. And then I would go to work and I work in a hospital and it was really rough in the hospital. Um, and I just, I didn't know what to do anymore. And so I, I went to Louise's house one day and I was bawling my eyes out as you do. Um, and she was like, right, what we're gonna do is we're going, I'm gonna get this piece of paper out and on this piece of paper, I want you to draw where you feel you are right now. So on this white, big white piece of paper, I drew a tiny little dot right in the middle. And then she's like, right, now I want you to write down everything you're feeling. You can write anything down that you want to. So I wrote down all these angry words in red and in black. And I was like, oh, so overwhelmed with all these feelings. None of them were swear words. I don't think she would have cared, but, <laughs> but I thought that was probably not good. Um, <laughs> and then she got another piece of paper out and she said, right, now what I want you to do is I want you to draw where you are in relation to him. And I was like, oh, so I closed my eyes and immediately I saw just a picture of Jesus and he was face to face, face to face with me right here. And something changed in that moment because <laughs> when you see him, he can bring truth, just like Adam's been talking about. And all these things have changed for me because I want to spend time in his presence. I want to spend time with him. So here's some lies that I used to believe. That I, I should have everything together. I know Jesus and I'm leading people, but I still feel broken. That I'm stuck, that I've tried everything, I've prayed and nothing changes. That he's far away that it's my fault and that I'm not doing enough, that it's just me, that I feel alone, I'm the only one that's struggling with things and everyone else has everything together. I can't hear him. I know what he said over me and about me, but people know that I'm not, I'm not doing it and I'm not living it and they're disappointed in me and Jesus is disappointed in me. And it was like, in that moment, bam, he was like, no, I'm gonna bring truth. And the more time I spend with him, these are the things, the truths that have come. That whenever I come to him, in whatever state that I'm in, he only sees Jesus in me and I get to come right into the fullness of his presence. <laughs> that when I um, let him into the darkest and hardest places, I look at him and there is love and there is freedom there that he not only wants my freedom, but it's actually already done. I just need to adjust to see that it's done and that I'm actually already standing in an open cage. That when I behold him, when I abide in him and surrender to him, that's where the change and the freedom come. That things fall away in that place and he clothes me with righteousness. That there is always more of him <laughs> and that's all I want. And also, I can't live from one moment 
and wait for the next moment with him that I actually need a sustained and ongoing relationship and encounter. (laughs) In Psalms, it actually says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And I don't know if you've noticed this about me, but I laugh a lot and I I feel his presence a lot and joy comes. But you know what? Joy looks like someone who doesn't actually care anymore what people think. You're so happy and you know him and you know his presence and it just makes you happy. And so you can't, you can't do anything but be happy. You know what? He is so beautiful. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but when I look at him, I become more like him and his spirit comes upon me. Here's some of the things. He is glorious. He is love. He is justice. He is majestic. He is humble. He is powerful. He is faithful. He is good. He is holy. He is mercy. He is grace. He is judgment. And do you know what? The beauty of him is... It's not just attributes of who he is. He is the fullness of all of those things. He is the fullness of all of those things all the time in unity and it is not in any contradiction and is unchanging. Wow. Come into his presence. Come with adoration, not just to receive something, but for him. Because the greatest thing that we have, the greatest treasure that we have is actually relationship with him. Not even the things that we receive in his presence. He is calling us as a church to rest, to adore him, to to come into his presence, not with striving, not with struggling, just surrender and submission. In Jeremiah 29 verse 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you want to experience him today, come hungry, quiet yourself, because he always, always comes to a hungry heart that is undivided. Paul this morning had a word um, about going deeper. And you know what? You can... You can step into his presence and just experience your toe in (laughs) and you can stay in that place and be like, wow, I've experienced Jesus. But you know what? There's always more of him. That's what I'm saying today. So take a step deeper because it actually says you can go knee deep, you can go waist deep, you can go ankle deep, you can be fully saturated in his presence. And I just feel like today there's something of that. (sighs) I want to ask you, I want to say to you as well, When you come into his presence, ask him a question. (laughs) Because I think sometimes, I don't know, we come and we're not sure what to do, but just ask him a question and you know what? He'll talk to you. So here's some questions I think would be good for you to go home and ask him when you spend time with him. Jesus, who do you want to be for me right now? And Jesus, what lies do you want to bring truth to right now? (laughs) Because he will answer those questions if you ask him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Also, I just have something. I just feel like today, um, because I've been speaking about lies and about truth, I feel like today there's a bunch of people that have come with lots of anxiety. And, and over the last two weeks, you know when you preach, you always are like, that's something that comes against you, something that Jesus wants to do. I've been so anxious, and I'm not an anxious person in general, but so many things have happened and it's just been overwhelming. So I feel like today, Jesus wants to set some people free from anxiety because that's a lie. You don't have to live in that place anymore. So I just feel like today, if that's something that you're struggling with, respond to that, even right now. So let's just close our eyes. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. 
Lord, I just pray for anyone here that's experiencing anxiety. And I just, I just pray, Lord, that as they look at you, as they see you rightly, Lord, that anxiety would just come off in Jesus' name, that no one would be held back anymore, that they wouldn't live in that place where they're stuck anymore. Lord, right now that there would be freedom that would come to captives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amazing, amazing. Can we stand together? When I asked these guys to preach, I didn't give them a topic. And to be honest, it can be a little risky because I actually had no idea. Um, I I asked them what they were going to preach, but I had no idea how it was going to go together. And I love it because the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. I couldn't have made that... weave together if we tried but the Holy Spirit has a thread truth you'll know the truth and you'll be free, it'll set you free restoration of dreams bringing out of the pit God's not done with you in his presence seeing him face to face If we only get that this year, not just today, this year, look at what God will do with you and with us as a people. Literally, if we can only grasp and lay hold of that we stand in his truth, we know his truth, we're a people of truth, that God's not done. No matter what pit you find yourself in, no matter what place the enemy's thrown you in or tells you that you're in, God hasn't let go of the things that he's spoken over you. He's going to bring it to completion. And he wants to be with you. If there's some here this morning and you've believed the lie in the place of being in the pit. So the enemies come against truth. You believe the lie because you're in a place of a pit. And the lie was this, that God doesn't want to be with you. That you're not worthy of his presence. And this morning, as we've heard, but he's saying, I love you. When he sees you, he sees Jesus. And you are worthy of his presence. He wants to be with you. He wants to presence himself with you, and there's always more of him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.